Keishla, I want to uh, yeah, really encourage you to um, prayerfully think about why, uh, yeah, if there's any reason why you, you are unable to uh, partner with uh, Keishla in the work that God has called her to, and yeah, to really send her out with all of our hearts and uh, with, the best, uh, yeah, with the best that we can and, and continue to support as long as the Lord would have her, um, would have her out in the places uh, in Asia that God has called her to. Uh, tomorrow, if you could pray for, uh, pray for Pastor Daniel and myself, we'll be going to Atlanta, I'm going to Atlanta for just a, a one-day quick trip. I'll be flying in and out tomorrow. Uh, for many of our youth and, and, and some of our folks who serve our, our youth, we have every summer a synod retreat that kind of uh, brings together churches and, and youth ministries and youth from all over um, the East Coast of, of America, and so we'll be meeting with some pastors up there. Uh, so if you keep us in your prayer, that'll be awesome. Uh, that'll be really cool. Uh, I, I don't know if... Uh, you feel this way when when I travel. Um, a lot of times, a question, <laughs> this like I'm haunted by this question. I always feel like I'm forgetting something. You feel like that when you're on the way to the airport? You're like, man, what am I forgetting? I think the worst thing, uh, the only thing worse than than having that thought is actually forgetting something on the way on on a trip. Um, this doesn't this didn't happen to me, but it happened to my uh, tomorrow traveling companion, Pastor Daniel. We were on a mission trip many years ago. Um, a bunch of us were going to the Dominican Republic, um, and I forgot when exactly this was. I just know that it happened to him. But we had um, gotten uh, landed in the Dominican Republic. We're really excited to go and do ministry. We're walking to baggage claim, and as a group of us were walking, <clears throat> we hear from behind us the voice of a frantic person calling out, Daniel Quack, Daniel Quack. It was a flight attendant from our, uh, from our airplane, from our flight, and they're running, and they're like, Daniel Quack, is he part of this group? And we said, yes, he is. He's right here. And she was waving, or he was, I forgot who it was, waving his passport, <laughs> saying, you forgot this. You need to have this. Don't leave without this. And he got it, and he's like, oh, didn't, he didn't realize it was that big a deal. But we're telling him, oh, my gosh, if you don't have that, and you could have a great mission trip, but when you try to get back into America, you're not going to be able to come back in. Uh, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing to forget something that you need when you need to get someplace very important. We would have learned, and he would have learned a very important lesson when he was coming back into America. Right? He could have had all his bags, could have had his driver's license, could have had a lot of money, could have had a lot of friends, could have had everything that he needed, but it's the one thing he didn't have that would have ruined his entire trip. Sometimes, guys, it's not about what we have, it's about what we don't have that can mess everything up, isn't it? He would have been, I think, in the history of our church, I can think of three people uh, who've gone on mission trips, and because they either lost or didn't have or had an expired passport, uh, they could not get back into the country. And so some of them had to spend months in another country, some of them weeks, others of them it was being shipped down and they had to wait but get back in. The important thing we have to understand is that sometimes it's not about what we do have, it's about what we don't have that can mess everything up. We're in this series called One Thing. We've been talking about these series of, of statements in the Bible where Jesus or somebody says, there's one thing, dot, dot, dot. We've looked at Paul the Apostle saying, there's one thing that I want to do with my life, one thing I spend my life on, and that's to know Jesus more, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead that I might know him more. Yesterday, we saw that the one thing we need is not to be distracted by many things, but to have one thing, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Today, I want to talk about one thing that Jesus says this man he encounters, as well as many people on this earth, lack. And this one thing that he lacked wouldn't just ruin a trip, 
it has the potential to sink our soul. So I want to look in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 17 through 31. <clears throat> look at the story, the famous true story of a rich young ruler who at the end of it turned out to be a poor, sad young man. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. This is God's word. Um, this happened some 2,000 years ago in real life, in real time. This is the word of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich <clears throat> to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is God's word. This man comes running up to Jesus. In three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says that this man uh, was very rich, very wealthy. Okay. Matthew says that he was young. Luke says he was a ruler. Okay, so you have the account of a rich, young ruler who has everything, right? By young, we're talking like 20s. That's Mark Zuckerberg's status before he blew up and became 31. That's Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook. That's Evan Spiegel, right? Snapchat. That's who this guy is. He has everything that the world wants. Not only that, he's not just rich, young ruler. He's a religious rich, young ruler, that means everything that many of us are, everything that many of us grew up being, that's what he is. He grew up in what would be called our church. His parents taught him the Bible. He knew the Ten Commandments. He was a moral guy. He memorized the verses. He was in Awana. 
In fact, he, was, he, he finished all, he got all the badges, he finished all of the books, he was the one who'd be chosen if he was in Korea to go to vision camp in Orlando. This is who he was. He was a rich, young, moral, upright, religious ruler of a person who has everything. So check this out, religious, rich, young, ruler, okay? One of these things, if not more, you are all of these things. Some of us are young, right? Some of us are religious, Some of us are rich, some of us have power. But in every one of these ways, okay, we can somehow relate. In any one of these ways, we can somehow relate to what this man is going through. He's got all of these things, and yet what he also has is this deep and gnawing emptiness within his heart. This longing within his heart that he realizes there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than being rich. There's got to be more to life than being young. There's got to be more to life than having power. There's got to be more to life than having money and being religious. There's got to be much more to life than this. Because if this was all, then it is woefully lacking. And so what do we see? I think there's instructive and important truths for all of us here. Three thoughts this morning. The first thing is this. You can have the whole world and still feel empty. You could have the whole world and still feel empty. Here's this guy. He's got everything that this world wants to have. And along with it, he's got this sense of lack. You hear this all the time, don't you? At Hollywood, stars, the world is eating out of their hand. They're commanding millions of dollars for every movie that they do. And yet you see at the end of their lives, this deep sense of this hole in their soul that caused them to take their lives. You see this all the time if you, if you follow Korean drama, Korean pop music. You read the news, you hear about all of these famous Korean dancers or Korean singers who everyone looks at them, we love them. The world is their oyster. They, they're, they're, they're the idol of, of, of millions. And yet they take their lives because they realize there's got to be so much more. There's got to be more than this. We've got the whole world but we're drowning in emptiness and loneliness and in sadness. Do you ever feel that way? And this guy felt this way. I remember talking with a young lady. She was a high school girl at a, at a retreat. Her name was Joy. That's the irony of it. And she's talking to me. She's like, my name is Joy, but nothing could be further from the truth of my life. I have these friends. I come to church. I've grown up in church. My parents love me. They take care of me. I get good grades. I've got everything that I want. But there's no joy in my life. And people call me joy. They say, oh, you must be so happy. And so I put on this mask that makes me feel happy at church. But when I go home, when I'm sitting by myself in my room, when I'm at home and no one is there, I feel so sad and I feel so depressed. They call me joy, but nothing could be further from the truth. She said, do you know how tiring it is to pretend to be somebody that you're not? Do you ever feel that way? You know, it's tiring. You ask anyone who's been in a, in a, uh, in a movie or, or, or an actor, like, how hard it is to play somebody else, how emotionally draining it is. 
And that's what this guy feels. And he's tired of being tired. And in this desperation, he's obviously been feeling this for quite some time because it says the first thing that we read is as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees. Can you think of how many powerful, rich, young people would fall on their knees before somebody else? There's a cosmic level desperation within him. There's a cosmic level emptiness within him. He's singing the songs that overwhelms and satisfies my soul. But the real song that he's singing is, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And perhaps as you sit here this morning, you're singing that song, but you're feeling a different song. The song of emptiness, the song of despair, the song of longing. And for him, he's had enough, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and this is what he says. He falls on his feet, and he says, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In his mind, there's several major fallacies going on here, but I just want to point out this one thing. He realizes that my life, the longing, the hole in my soul is because I've got everything in this world, but my longing is for eternity. Do you see, for so many of us who have everything in this world, the reality is that this world will never satisfy because our hearts were made for eternity. Ecclesiastes says, eternity is written in every one of our hearts, so there's this longing. We could have everything in this world and still feel empty because we were not made for this life. And so this eternal longing is this ocean of desperation that we're trying to satisfy with a teardrop at a time, trying to satisfy our parched and weary, longing, empty souls. And it never works out. Religion doesn't work out. Your power doesn't work out. Your riches don't work out. Your good grades, your fame, none of that stuff works out. Our hearts, O Lord, are made for thee, said St. Augustine, and our hearts will forever be restless until we find our rest in you. But here's our problem, is that nature hates a vacuum, right? And so in this emptiness, we create all of these things to try and satisfy that ocean of emptiness within our hearts. But temporary things and the world's best can never satisfy our longings because the longing is eternal. It's not temporal. My, uh, so five-year-old son, Elijah, he um, has... One of the first shows he fell in love watching was a show called Paw Patrol. It's about all these, like, puppies. And they go on all of these different missions in order to rescue the town in which they live. And so after watching the show for a while, he began to realize, going to Target, that, wow, there's actual action figures that I can get so that I can play my own episodes of Paw Patrol. And so he said, Mommy, Daddy, can I get Paw Patrol characters? And so we would buy these dogs, Chase and Rocky and Zuma and all of these different, and he, we got all the dogs, and so he would line them up, and, and that's what he would do. And we're like, Elijah, you got all your dogs. Are you so happy? He's like, yeah. But now all I need is the lookout. What's the lookout? The lookout is their base where they sit, all of them hang out there, and then when they get a mission from uh, Mission Command, that's where they go, and then they, they go on their mission. But we need the lookout in order that they can have a place to live and congregate together. So um, I, I don't know if it's either us or one of their, his aunts or uncles bought him the lookout, and he was so excited about that. We were excited. Finally, you can play with them. Elijah, are you happy now? He's like, yeah, I'm happy, but now we have to get their vehicles. What vehicles? Because they all have different, uh, Chase 
is a police, right? He chases people. There's another one called Rocky, and Rocky has like a recycling truck. Or, or They all have their, their names and vehicles that go along with it. So we got in these vehicles, and he would park them at the lookout. Now, Elijah, you can play. Are you happy? Now all I need to get is the mission, is the Paw Patroller. What's the Paw Patroller? That's where all the vehicles go on top of so they can travel all together. All right, so put that on your Christmas list, man. We're running out of money. So he gets the Paw Patroller for Christmas. Elijah, are you happy now? Now all I need is the Air Patroller. What's the Air Patroller? It's the airplane that all the vehicles go into so that he can fly, they can go faster. Get the Air Patroller. Are you happy now? Now all I need is a Sea Patroller. What is a Sea Patroller? The Sea Patroller is so that they can go on water for water rescue missions and all the vehicles can go on there. We've got all these things. I'm thinking to myself, land, sea, air. There's nothing else that you need, right? Elijah, play now. He's like, oh, this is great, Daddy. This is great. Now all I need is a jungle patroller and the, and the pirate patroller. and the, There's all of these different patrollers. Like, Elijah, when are you ever going to be happy? He's like, when I get these other ones, then that's all I'm going to need. There's a never-ending longing because the desire is eternal, and he's trying to fill it with these temporary things. This is what we do, isn't it? We have these massive longings that only that which is infinite and eternal eternal can satisfy. And here we are trying to fill them with things of this life. This guy realizes, man, you can have everything and still be empty. I think that's one of the great gifts of when we go to other countries and meet other believers, and then you begin to realize what Jesus said is true. That he is indeed everything that I need. We cannot say that Jesus is all I need until he's all I have. And the problem with us living in a place where we are rich and we have power is that we never come to a place in our lives so, well, we, we rarely come to a place in our lives where Jesus is everything that we need because he's rarely everything that we have. Because we have so many other things that can satisfy our hearts, at least temporarily, that keeps us from longing for more of Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're everything that I want. And so sometimes the great gift of missions is not what we give to the people, it's what the people give to us. When we go to developing nations and we see, a lot of times we go on our first mission trip and our eyes are opened, especially when we're young and we're not as mature. We go and we see shanty houses. We look at people who don't have shoes, people who are living with ripped clothes, and we see them. And, and, and the, the mind-boggling thing about it is, man, people live this way. And then we come back home and we talk about, well, I'm so thankful for all that I have. That's an immature level. We grow from that place. It's something that needs to happen. We begin to realize that there's more to life than what we've got. But we go back another time and a second time and a third time and a fourth time as we begin to grow in maturity, we, get, we begin to realize that, wow, not only do they not have a lot, but they're still so full of joy because they've got the one thing that they need. Because they have Jesus and that's all that they need and there's a happiness and a joy that blows our happiness and joy in Christ out of the water because we're so entrapped by all of these other things. And we get humbled and we begin to realize, man... What if really all I had was Jesus? What if he's all that I had and I didn't have all of these other things to cling to? And that's why isn't it true that for many of us, the times we feel most intimate with God, the times where Jesus most satisfies us is when everything has been taken from us. 
When the economic recession hits, when cancer hits, when sickness hits, when death hits and and comes close to home, when we realize we've got nothing and all of those toys that we have cannot satisfy the longing of our hearts and only Jesus can. Isn't that what he means everything to us and we begin to realize that the one thing that I lacked was a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus the entire time. I was religious. I had all of these other things. I had everything that the world wanted but I was still empty because I didn't have the one thing that I needed, an intimate, thriving relationship with Jesus. This is why it's the danger here. They are not the people in developing nations are not the ones to be pitied. It's us who think that going to church and sitting here every Sunday gives us treasure in heaven because we have him in our hearts. If that's all there is to the Christian life, then we are above all to be pitied amongst people because there's a whole lot more to life than that. And we need to begin to realize, man, my heart is a factory of idols. I can even make church going an idol, replacing the beauty of Jesus. I can look to a man, to a woman, as if I've got everything that this Christian life has to offer, but I can still feel empty in my heart. You can have everything in this world and still not have what you're looking for, even if you're a church-going person. It's the first thing that we see here. Second thing that we see is that Jesus knows, and he will expose everything that keeps you from him. He knows, and he'll expose everything that keeps you from following him. Jesus looks at this man, and this guy, see, his, his understanding is, First, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He thinks that there's something that can be done in order to do that. And so Jesus says in verse 21, here's the motivation for everything that he says. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And what follows after it says Jesus loved him would be the hardest thing that this guy could ever hear in his life. But see, we have this understanding sometimes that God's love is something that makes me feel warm and, 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 and cozy inside. It's this love that I'm on God's cell phone, like he loves me, he cherishes me, he's there for me, he sings over me, he dances over me, he rejoices over me, all of which are true. But the love of God is not always a sentimental kind of love. Sometimes the love of God is deeply and highly surgical also. There's a surgery that Jesus needs to perform in our hearts in order to get the things that keep us from life out of our hearts. Okay, some of us know what that tumor is within us. Okay, some of, some of you know, but you want to deny that with all of our hearts. It's a relationship that's not good, it's not healthy. It's a hobby that's taking up your time and keeping you from following Christ. It's a substance. It's a drug. It's an alcohol. It's an addiction. It's something that you give yourself to. You know what this is. A lot of us know what this is. And it's the love of God that knows that and will expose that in your heart because surgery needs to be done in order for you to follow Christ and not live in this constant season of lack and longing and emptiness. Jesus knows and he's exposing and maybe some of you it's been exposed in your heart for a long time. 
this hope, this dream, this possession, this pleasure, whatever it might be, because our hearts are constantly producing idols because we cannot stand the vacuum and the void of emptiness within our hearts. And it is God in his love, the great physician who calls this out in our lives. I heard a, yesterday, 16-year-old a golfer, he was an amateur golfer, the best, uh, one of the top 20 in the world, I'm sorry, in, in the country. Is at a tournament, this happened years ago, he's at a tournament, and for whatever reason, uh, his leg started hurting. He started feeling this pain in his leg so deeply that he couldn't stand up anymore. He had to withdraw from that tournament, left from one side of one coast to the other, went back home. Doctors did some tests, and a month later, they said, we found this cancerous tumor. Um, we can do radiation, but it will spread. Right? It spread too much for that to be eradicated. The only, the only option is to be amputated. Amputate your leg six inches from your knee down. And you'll never play golf ever again in your life. Sixteen years old. God amputated because that's what was necessary in order for him to live. Surgery was necessary. And Jesus looks at this rich, young ruler. And he looks at you and me sitting here in the middle of Winter Garden. And he says, there's something in your life that's keeping you from following me with everything within you. For him, there was two things. There was two things. It was his morality and it was his money. His morality kept him from following Jesus. Look at what he says. Verse, uh, verse 17, good teacher. Jesus says in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus obviously is, is God, and he's good. But what he's trying to do is this guy doesn't understand that he's God. He just thinks he's a good teacher, morally good teacher. And what Jesus is trying to say is your understanding of that which is good is predicated upon looking at life and, and goodness on this earth, morality on this earth. But what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to blow his spot to say you have no idea what goodness really is. Good, there's only one who's good, and that's God. And what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to show this guy, you need to compare your level of goodness with the goodness of God, and then you will see the woeful inadequacy of your morality in the hopes that you would throw yourself upon the grace of God and say, I cannot do this. I cannot be good on my own. And so Jesus says, well, let's try. He says, you know the commandments? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And his response in verse 20, he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. His response should have been, you know what, I can't do this. This is too hard for me. If we're talking about like God's level of goodness versus my level of goodness, there's no way I can measure up. But instead, he says, you know what, I passed the test. What Jesus was doing, he was holding up the law as an x-ray of his heart to show the deficiency in his morality. But instead, what this guy saw was a checklist of what he needed to do to get into heaven. And he said, I've done all that stuff, but I still feel empty. There's got to be something else I can do. And here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to say, okay, okay, let me try one more thing to get you to realize that you cannot do this. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. What did he do? It says his face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth, and he walked away from Jesus. If he really wanted 
the soul satisfaction that he was longing for to satisfy that emptiness, he would have thrown himself even further at Jesus and said, I cannot do this. I need your help. I need your help. How can I do this? And he would have thrown himself upon the mercy of God, and then Jesus would have said, you're in because you can't do it on your own. The only way that you can get in is if you say, I can't do it, and you throw yourself upon amazing grace. But his problem was he thought he was good enough to work his way into heaven. What must I do to inherit eternal life? For those of us who think that we can do something to get into heaven, Jesus is killing that understanding. Some of us think, you know what, when I stand before God in heaven and he says, why should I let you into heaven? Why should you inherit eternal life? We think because I went to church all of my life. Because I was a good person, because I kept the commandments, because I honored my parents, because I worshiped you with all of my heart, because I I got baptized. We think there's something that we can do in order to get eternal life. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. No matter what you do, see, here's the problem. You have lowered the bar, and whenever you lower the bar, anyone can kill it on that bar. You You may have seen this this past week was... It was cold here in Florida, right? It was like we can all, it was Florida cold. For us, it was like apocalyptic, end of the world, second coming level cold for us. And so on the news, you may have seen this circulating around social media, there was this dire weather report that came out on Channel 9 News. And this uh, guy, it was like at 6.30 in the morning, at the time it was 28 degrees, but he was given this, this weather report and the high temperature is going to be 53 degrees. And it says, um, stay in, or avoid being outdoors, wear layers if necessary. And there was like this sense of, of urgency and this like dire, like warning and, and just like, oh, just this, oh my gosh, we have to, we have to heed these warnings. We're going to suffer frostbite in the 53 degree weather. And so this was circulating all over the news and all over social media. And from up north, we were like the laughing stock, just as we were during the elections recently. But we're the laughing stock. Uh, of, of, of Florida, you've done it again. Oh, my goodness. Look at you. People from Philadelphia are like, oh, my gosh, if we were in 53-degree weather, we'd be running outside with our bathing suits on. We'd be jumping in the pool. People from Chicago are like, man, we would kill for this kind of weather. And they say the bar for coldness in Florida is pretty low or pretty high, depending on what, how you're saying. But it's a low bar. When you lower the bar, wow, that must really be cold for you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Saying, you think you're good? It's only because you've lowered the bar. Here's where your bar ought to be. There's only one who's good, and it's God. And he's perfect. It says, unless you are perfect, you can never earn your way into heaven. Unless you're perfect. See, here's our problem for a lot of us. A lot of us, it's not our badness that keeps us from trusting Jesus. For a lot of us who've grown up in church, who go to church, for a lot of us, we don't go to Jesus because of our goodness. Because we think we're good enough to not need Jesus. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what a lot of us do too. We don't think we need Jesus because I've got everything that I need. I'm religious. I've done it all. I've got all of these things that I need. And so there's no need in our hearts for Jesus. What Jesus is doing, he's trying to deal a death blow to his morality as his idol to get him into heaven. The other thing is uh, not just his morality, it's his money. He had a lot of it. 
And Jesus said, listen, you give this up and you follow me. And again, the response of anyone should be, I need you to do this. I need your help. But instead, he walked away from Jesus. And a lot of people in 21st century America are walking away from Jesus sad with that emptiness in our hearts still there because we think that religion and morality or some other idol can satisfy the longing in our hearts that Jesus alone can fill. The last thing then that we see is that following Jesus is either all or nothing. Following Jesus is either all or nothing. And I know, you know, there have been times where I've, I've had these conversations with people. And there are going to be some things that I might say during this last thought that might get you upset. But I promise you that I've prayed about this and I feel like I would say all of these things with love in my heart. Because at the end of the day, I'm not making up any of this stuff. Like, this is what Jesus is saying. But I think the version of Christianity that a lot of us subscribe to is not a version of Christianity that Jesus taught or embraced or espoused. It's not a biblical Christianity. It's a cultural Christianity. This man walked away sad because he did not want to give Jesus everything that Jesus wanted from him. The thing that kept him from following Jesus. And I think in our in our day, in our age, like we love finding deals. We love finding bargains. Right? Groupon, living social, whatever it might be. We love Black Friday shopping. We love finding a discount. Right? We love finding cheap stuff. I love finding cheap. If it's free, it's even better. But we love this kind of stuff. We love going to, uh, man, I remember like one of my favorite times was going to China. And in China, there was this market. And at the time, I was looking for a new bag for my laptop. And there was this Bally store, Bally leather store. And um, and I asked the lady how much that laptop bag was, and she said, it's $200. I said, oh, that's too much for me, and I started walking out. And she said, okay, come back here, come back here, come back here. I said, how much you want to pay for that? I said, I want to pay $20, $20, that's all I got. 20 bucks, I got to go, and I got to get on a plane and leave. She's like, $20, oh, no, 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 no. And she got really upset, and we were going back and forth. I said, what if I buy two of them, one for me, my friend and one for me? I'll pay you $40 for two of them. She's like, no, 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 and she was being all like, you know, that, that's, kind, that's how you do there, right? So at the end of the day, I remember this one part of the conversation. It was a long conversation. Um, but at one point, I, uh, I was just messing with her. I said, how come you're so mean? And she said to me, because you're ugly. <laughs> because you're ugly. Are you from America? I said, I'm from America. She said, because you're an ugly American. That's why I'm mean to you. And so I said, okay, that's really cool. And so uh, I said, but I don't want to pay $200 for your bag. I, I'm going to leave. And, and so I started leaving. And she went, oh, okay, come back here. All right, two of them for $40. She gave it to me. And then she started being all nice. And we took and we left. And that bag lasted me all of about, before it started ripping, about six months. And I, I ended up using it for about two months, paper clipped some things because the straps got all jacked up. I had that for, for a good six months of, of good usage. And I said, $20 for six months, that's a great deal. That's a great bargain. That's a great bargain. I think a lot of us, when it comes to following Jesus, are looking for a bargain. Jesus says, here's what it means to follow me. You give up everything and you come after me. And this man starts walking away 
And here's what a lot of us think Jesus would do. A lot of us think Jesus would say, okay, okay, come back here, come back here, come back here. <laughs> you got a lot of money, rich young ruler, okay? Son of man has no place to lay his head. If you just give a tithe, just, just give me 10%. Just give me 10%. You can go on your way. Just give me 10%. This will fund me until the rest of my life. That's cool. Just give me your 10%. I think a lot of us think that we can still deal and make bargains with Jesus. We think that giving 10% of our heart to Jesus, 10% of our finances to Jesus, give one out of seven days of our week to Jesus is fine, and then I do whatever I want to do. And then we wonder, like the rich young ruler, why I feel this emptiness within my heart. Can I ask you a question? What kind of Christianity are you believing? What kind of Christianity are you subscribing to? Because the Christianity of the Bible says it's either all or nothing. There's no middle ground. He says there's a wide road that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow road that leads to life. He didn't say there's a middle way. He said either you're for me or you're against me. He didn't say there's a third way. He said either you're in or you're out. Either you follow me or you don't follow me. Is your version of Christianity a version that says, all of my life I offer to you, Jesus, I give everything. Because if not, then there will always be this one thing that we lack in our hearts. And there will always be this cosmic emptiness within our hearts that we think religion and morality and a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of that should be able to satisfy. But we're teardropping into an ocean of eternal longing that Jesus alone can satisfy. What kind of Christianity are you passing on to your children? This is something that, uh, that uh, at our leaders meeting, one of our guys said, he said, our children's ministry director kind of uh, challenges our parents, saying, if you're bringing your kids late to worship service every week, then what are you teaching your kids? You're teaching your kids that Jesus, that God, the most worthy one, that we worship with all of our hearts isn't even worthy of us bringing on time to worship. I, what, I, there was this article I, I read three, three weeks, three, four weeks ago. It said the number one reason why churched students leave church and decide that Sunday worship is not important when they go to college and when they become young adults is not this secular world that we live in. It's their committed Christian parents who say, you can skip church on Sunday to go to that SAT class. You can skip church on Sunday because we're on vacation and we don't go to church on vacation. You can skip church on Sunday because you've got that basketball game, because you've got that lacrosse camp, because you've got that whatever it is thing. And we think as parents in our minds it's just one Sunday, but what we're teaching our children is that these other things are more important than worshiping God on Sunday. What version of Christianity are you embracing in your life? Because if it's not this everything for Jesus, then it's not biblical Christianity. What are we teaching? What are we living? What are we believing in? What keeps you from following Jesus with everything within you? Because Jesus will expose that and unless we deal with that, unless we wrestle with that, unless we allow God to have precedence in our lives over these things, sadly, there's a lot of people who will stand at the door of heaven thinking that they ought to be in because they did something or because they went somewhere instead of surrendering their lives and trust to the only one who is good. When you follow Jesus, 
says it's all or nothing. And he's exposing and he's pointing out the things within our lives. The disciples say, what? Who can get into heaven? Because they thought, surely, if he's rich, he's blessed by God. And Jesus says, no, no, no. With people, this is humanly impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus. And that's what he's trying to get this rich young ruler to see. But his unwillingness to surrender himself to Jesus, his trusting in his morality and in his money was keeping him and the doors of heaven shut from him. And so Jesus says, with God all things are possible. And then Peter's response is, we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus goes on in this powerful statement that, quite frankly, a lot of times we want to gloss over. Because these are the very things that oftentimes keep us from following Jesus with all of our lives. Our family, our friends, our relationships, the hopes, the dreams, the money, the homes, the business, whatever it is that keeps us from going on a mission trip when God is calling us to go or that keep us from laying down everything to forsake that in order to follow him. What does it look like? What does that mean to follow Christ? I remember when one of our sisters, uh, one of our shepherds, uh, Sarah Kim, was going to Jordan to spend a year there. I remember in that preparation, at the time, Jordan was such an unknown in the Middle East, and her, uh, one of her younger brothers, Paul, uh, in the, we just had this heart-to-heart right before she left. They said, I understand that she wants to follow Jesus. It's just to follow God. But why does she have to go out there? Why does she have to go to such a place that's so difficult? Why couldn't it be somewhere easier? Why does it have to be so difficult for so long? And I said, I understand, man. I understand what you're feeling. And for her to say, you know what, Paul? I hear you. I will not go would be disobeying the call of God in her life. I remember when our brother Kenneth was preparing to go out to the Middle East. His family didn't want him to go. Some of our church people didn't want him to go. Not there. Not where terrorists were present. Not if he needed to go through kidnapping training. And what happens? You need to say goodbye to all of your people in the case that you don't ever come back. Before he left, someone on social media said, you're just going to go and you're going to die there. But go ahead. It's your life. For him to heed those things and say, you're right. You're right. You're right. I can do missions work here and I'll just do would be to deny the call of God in his life. Some of us guys, some of us are denying the call of God because there's something that God is pointing out in our lives that you don't want to give up to follow him. And it's keeping you from experiencing the life that was meant to be. You're in a relationship or you're in a place, you're in a job you know what you ought not be in, you're making tons of money, or you're the prospect of making money. I, I remember sitting with a guy about, about a month and a half ago at a local restaurant here. He said, I know I need to lay it all down to follow Jesus, but here's my thing, DL. He said, here's my thing. If I wait two more years, I've got a vesting option where I can make $2 million. $2 million is mine in two years. And I said, here's, here's what I think. Here's my fear for you, young man, is that your love of money is causing you to sell your soul. Because in $2 million in two years, in five years, it's going to be $10 million. Right? You know what God is calling you to do right now. You know what God is calling you to do. And then he said to me, if I do this, 
If I do this, if I let go of all of this money, is there a promise? Like it's going to be better with God? Is it going to be better with God? I said, here's his promise. Okay, here's his promise. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You will never lose when you follow Jesus. You will never lose when you follow Jesus. One person in our congregation recently gave up a relationship days before an engagement because they felt like this relationship is not going to cause me to follow Christ with all of my heart. What is Jesus calling you to surrender before him? What does it look like for you to follow Jesus with everything? Because unless you do, you will always feel the emptiness that this man feels in his heart. How do you do this? He walked away sad. It's the saddest, among the saddest verses of Scripture. But turning our eyes away from that poor young fool, realizing that it's only possible with God, we lift our gaze upwards to a better, rich young ruler named Jesus, the one who was standing in front of this very man who had everything in heaven and on earth. Young, 33 years of age, ruler of the nations, king of the world, lord of lords, everything was his. And he looked at his father and he said, Father, what must I do in order that they might inherit eternal life? And it was so that that rich young ruler surrendered everything Everything, even his final breath and his final drop of blood, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the rich young ruler emptied everything. None of us could do this. This is impossible. Ah, but with God, he did. And because of him, he makes it possible. In knowing Jesus, we who have looked all of our lives for something to satisfy that deep and eternal longing can finally say, now I found what I'm looking for. Let's pray together. Let's be honest with ourselves for a few moments right now. The surgeon's scalpel is ready is ready to do surgery in your heart. What keeps you from following Jesus? We are naked before God right now. No secrets. He exposes everything. Where are those tumors in our hearts that will rob us of life and keep us from the satisfaction that we need? What are those things? Come on, let's be honest. Who is it? What is it? Where is it? Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. 
and he began to expose the idols of his heart. Spend a few moments responding to the word of God. Praying through the conviction of God's spirit in your heart. Let's follow Jesus. Lord, I need you. How long do we have to live in this tiredness of fronting and masking the emptiness within? Right? How long are we going to run around thinking that these things are going to satisfy us? It's only when we follow the will and the call and the purpose of God with all that we are that we will experience life as it was meant to be lived. Pray for a few moments right now, responding to God. Let's follow Christ. We need you, God. Let's pray for a few moments before we close. It's part of our time. this, like when would you, you most fully immersed in the beauty of Christ? Like you know what you need to do. Just sitting at his feet, being with him, surrendering to him. The hardest thing, the biggest gap is between our head and our hearts. That one foot, the longest distance for truth to traverse. But will you let it change you? leaving so much life on the table. But man, what God wants to do in us, what God wants to do through us, we just let it all go. Say, God, here I am. Surrender to you. Father in heaven, we come needing you. Lord, we're so desperate for you. We've been swamped by secularism. We've been swamped by a compromised Christianity. We've been swimming in that for so long that we think it's normal. And it caused us to feel like what Jesus said was normal Christianity is radical and it's not. Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Father, my fear is still that after hearing this, that many of us would walk away sad. But Lord, let that not be. May we see how you can satisfy us and do in us what you only can do. That we'd walk away rejoicing in the glad surrender 
of grace-driven, joyful obedience to the call of the cross. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first and made it possible for us to have life in your name. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.